This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore, joined by Dave Green. And Dave, today we're going to talk about more recent history, civil defense in the atomic age. I thought I saw something in one of your emails, a reference. This is just conversation, folks. Yes. A reference to World War III. Well, that's true. It's a reference uh, to the possibility of uh, World War III. In fact, you were telling me there's been some recent news that even bigger uh, thermonuclear weapons, or whatever they're properly called, have been uh, uh, developed. They can take out an entire country? Is that, I did see something on the, the Internet today that Russia now has a nuclear device that is capable of pretty much blowing either uh, the entire country of France off the map or the entire state of Texas. Take your pick. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is such a, a horrendous development in history that it, it kind of lent itself to comedy, to, oddly enough. I remember, when I've always been a fan of the uh, comedy folk singer Tom Lehrer, a satirical guy, and he wrote this one song about World War III, in which I think the, the last line of it uh, was that, uh, I'll be home, Mom, after dropping the bomb uh, when the war is over an hour and a half from now. I did, I did listen to the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good reference. An hour and a half later, yeah. yeah. Well, I write a column for the Daily Gazette about local history in the Fulton-Montgomery County area, and I recently did a column about civil defense in the atomic age, uh, things that I'd found in the archives, you know, the newspaper archives and so forth, some things I remembered. And this column got a couple of really detailed responses, not necessarily critiques, just kind of adding on to uh, what I had brought up. So I thought there was really kind of some interest here. I thought I'd make a good uh, column to put on the podcast. So here's a part of the column, and you can find the column now on uh, mohawkvalleyweb.com, which is where my Daily Gazette columns are archived. That's a website maintained by computer science professor and entrepreneur Frank Yunker. Uh, So here's the column. Preparing for an atomic bomb blast was part of the curriculum in the fall of 1950 in New York State, the year that Russia got the bomb. The state education department had ordered the training for both public and parochial students. Just as law enforcement personnel conduct active shooter drills today, over 60 years ago, authorities issued instructions to school children and parents on how to try to survive an atomic bomb attack. And honestly, Dave, that was one of my reasons for writing the column is, you know, you read all the time now how they're having active shooter drills in the elementary schools. We've changed our focus. You're yeah. Correct. And, but, and, but, and that is, must be, I would say, uh, kind of scary for the students or probably or at the very least makes an impression on them, as I think these atomic bomb drills made an impression on our generation. I don't believe they do them anymore, but maybe we'll find some uh, someplace I'll get some response that they do. Uh, in Amsterdam, where I grew up, the school superintendent uh, in 1950, a man named Edward Cushman, 
Uh, and I do remember that name as school superintendent. He was superintendent for a long time. He had become superintendent in 1943. He served until 1959 when he and his wife left Amsterdam for jobs with the Christian Children's Fund in Richmond, Virginia. I just try to follow some loose ends in these columns, Dave, find out what happened to people. So Edward Cushman writes in this 1950 memo, and my hunch is he is, well, shall I say, parroting language that his superiors in the state education department had you know, encouraged him to say. But he wrote, quote, while there appears to be no probability at the present time of such an attack, these atomic bomb attacks might come without warning. And the state education department feels that parents should have some information immediately regarding possible safeguards and treatments. And what I remember, and maybe you do too, but here was my memory. I went to Roman Avenue Elementary School in Amsterdam. That school uh, building is still there. It's been turned into an apartment complex. And I remember that either we were told to get under our desks, in actual fact, got under our desks uh, when they, we had these drills uh, for the atomic bomb, or they marched us down to the basement where we lined up against the wall. Um, in 1950, he advised that students should get to cover if an air raid warning was given, and cover would be a public shelter, the nearest building, a cellar, even a tree, to shield them from burns. And the idea was a thick wall would provide protection against gamma rays. I don't, I, I'm sorry, Bob. I can't help looking back at this, but, you know, laugh a, a little bit. You know, everybody, right. We were we were told to duck, you know, you can't get through this podcast without using the term duck and cover. No, in fact, I, right, duck and cover is what it was called. You know, it, and in our case, it was everybody over again, you know, the windows uh, came about 50, per, they, they produced about 50% of the wall. So everybody in the room had to be down, you know, close to the, close to the heater. Right, right. So you were all there, kind yeah, of cowering. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, hope, <laughs> hoping, hoping against all hope, Bob. Oh, not the gamma rays. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: in your memory, of course, it's hard to know because I, I wonder if we were. Did we take this seriously? Yes, was going on. Oh, yes, <clears throat> we did. Okay. Yes, I mean, there, the, we had no, we had no advanced fifty-year history to look back upon. Sure. Sure, you're right. This was a fir- this was a first timer for all of us. Bob. Well, I was sort of a pretentious twit even as a young person. I even remember when the when the Russians launched Sputnik. I, I was watching television with my parents, and they and it came on the TV, and I remember saying out loud in the living room, "World War Three." <laughs> Not to be pessimistic. <laughs> I know. Well, anyhow, so you got to get under your desk and go against the wall. Well, I might as well bring this up now because I had one response from— And by a, the way, Bob, those little wooden desks, they would have helped a lot. Yes. Well, a, a man named Michael—I won't give his last name—told, um, you know, responded to the column, or this part of that column, saying, This story brought back a number of memories, some distance, uh, some distant— I recall the blast training in the 60s, so he's a bit younger than we are, and he went to a parochial school in Schenectady, doing things like going into the corridor at the sound of the air raid horn and lining up face against the wall. Then the, And do you remember this, Dave? And I did after he mentioned it. And then the next layer of people put their heads on the back of the person in front 
to shield their faces with their arms. He said this in a corridor that has a large glass wall at the end, as if this was going to really do much more. And this is a terrible line, but he's got a point. Then put all the corpses in one easy-to-find place. Oh, oh. oh I, I, do, I do believe that uh, some of the, as I recall, some of the uh, kids, when you lined up in the hallway, for those who had to do that, you know, all the lockers were out there. Yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, they took up most of the wall space. So I think some of the kids came up with a, an original concept of open up the locker. That's and right. Stick your head in the locker. Get in the locker. Yeah. Be better with the, with the gamma ray. That's right. At least <laughs> it's a metal gamma ray protector. Now, Superintendent Cushman went on to say if there was no warning and just a blinding glare in the sky, you were to turn your back on the blast and drop to the ground with face on arm, eyes closed. For a full minute. He was trying. Yeah. He was at least trying to get some kind of word out there. To this day, my daughter frequently makes fun of me for this, that when I'm, I'm turning on a gas grill, I always turn my head away from it. That's a smart thing to do, yeah. Bob. It, it is. You have no idea. How many never... times have you had a flare-up trying to light <laughs> yes, something? That's true. That's, that's no fun there. Now, if you were indoors... Uh, Superintendent Cushman advised students to do you, lock- your, do you also turn your head and grit your teeth? <laughs> well, yes, I did do that. Uh, Superintendent Cushman, 1950, his atomic bomb advice, he told the students to lie down on the floor or under desks, tables, or beds with their backs to the window. If there was time, run to the basement. And then he talked about what to do. I mean, he, as you know, the state ed department and, superintendent, and the superintendent were relatively optimistic what to do when you survive the attack. He wrote, quote, wash yourself hard all over, lacking soap and water, rub with paper or cloth, eat and drink nothing that has been exposed to radioactivity. Tight containers are the one sure protection. <laughs> Buy yourself a very large Tupperware container oh, and hope for the best. Uh, this, it gets, this gets so silly. It's, I'm thinking back on it. Yeah. Well, and then the superintendent goes on, quote, obey the directions of proper authorities. They must aid wounded, put out fires, clear streets, repair communications, and so on. In the first hours of a burst, you can help by doing just as you are told. Uh, there's the key, Bob. Burst. After a burst? A burst. Forget the rest. Yeah. Well, and also, they reached out to the parents. In January of 1951, a pamphlet entitled You and the Atomic Bomb was distributed to Amsterdam area parents. That March, a film called You Can Beat an A-Bomb. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Was shown at a citywide meeting of parents and teachers. And maybe more to the point as to what had actually happened, um, also screened was the film A Tale of Two Cities, showing the effects of America's 1945 atomic attack on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Of course, in 1951, we were that much closer to the actual use of these weapons. I mean, they were used, and you know, people knew full well you know, what they did, plus all the other devastation of World War II. I mean, uh, sometimes they'll say that uh, the Allied bombing of Dresden, Germany, was, you know, in terms of damage and deaths, was worse than the uh, atomic bombs. If so, you were there. Yeah, it was, it was fresh in people's minds in 1951. Well, also, in addition to drilling the students and forming the parents, the, there were civil defense forces uh, in, the, in the early 50s. 
and regional civil defense forces took part in a drill in October 1951 in which there was a mock atomic attack in downtown Schenectady. It was the sixth such exercise in the state that year, with earlier mock attacks in Utica, Niagara Falls, Binghamton, Rochester, and Syracuse. In Amsterdam, the 1951 drill was led by Civil Defense Director Lyman Frazier, assisted by his deputy, Albert Luzinus, an Amsterdam patrolman. Civil Defense Chief for the county was Harry von Valkenburg. The more powerful hydrogen bomb was developed in late 1952. There was local newspaper coverage of another nuclear bomb drill in 1955, this one involving a mock attack centered in the town of Florida, which for those listening out out there, the town of Florida uh, is just, you know, a suburb, if you will, right next uh, to the city of uh, Amsterdam. New York State Civil Defense Director C.R. Hubner, a lieutenant general, said then, quote, no place in the state is free from the danger of attack. Amsterdam's participation in the 1955 drill was coordinated at the Civil Defense Office in the City Hall Annex on Church Street. Among those taking part in the exercise were local police and fire units and the Civil Air Patrol. And again, civil defense had existed during World War II. I recall other uh, stories in the history of Amsterdam, which I kind of focus, you know, that's one of my specialties, if you will, uh, is that they would have you know, blackouts and drills and mock air raids, you know, during World War II. That gentleman named Michael, shouldn't maybe say I got, I received from Michael, not only that story about how he recalled the civil defense drills when he was in school, he also told me about something that was maybe even the more recent uh, history, if you will, or not, not as long ago. And again, I won't say where it was or what city or what bank he's talking about, but he says, I also had the pleasure of working at a bank branch. In the basement, and you may remember these days, was a bomb shelter with some very unique features. The space was complete with bunk beds, showers, and a cafeteria dining area, and was meant to house maybe 20 people or more. It was in great disrepair when I worked there, but still easy to see it was meant for people to survive the calamity of nuclear attack. The really unique feature was the block wall to protect the occupants from radiation. And he did indeed send me a picture of this, a picture of these bricks that you were supposed to use in the event of an attack. When the alarm sounded, you were to go to the basement shelter and brick yourself in. They had these heavy blocks, and they were all numbered to show you where you should put them, and you know, ultimately you would be imprisoning yourself down in the, in the fallout shelter. And as Mike says, that was supposed to be a uh, radiation barrier. Uh, how in the world? They, they didn't uh, seem to accommodate the fact that at that particular time, you, because of the threatened attack or possible attack, that you may have been out of your mind. Yes, and couldn't quite figure out block A to block B. I never, I never knew anyone personally who had a bomb shelter on their property. Do you? Well, I do, and we'll tell that story in just a moment. You're listening to the Historians Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. The podcast depends on your donations for help. Uh, we've officially ended our uh, GoFundMe drive, but it's still open, and you can still make a donation. And certainly, I. 
Hope you do. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians2016. Or if you want to send us a check to uh, help out with production expenses and other costs associated with producing these uh, weekly podcasts, give us uh, write a check uh, made out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. That's 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And we're uh, talking about civil defense in the atomic age, and I hope we're not you know, being too lighthearted about this, but, of course, I don't know if this makes it any better. Others have been. I mentioned uh, Tom Lehrer. Uh, also, the motion picture, Dave, I know is a favorite of yours, Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, or, as they say, how I learned to love the bomb. That's right. How did I learn to stop worrying and love the bomb. That's right. Well, you mentioned fallout shelter. I, I'm be surprised if I haven't told you this story before in our long and checkered association, much of it having to do with working in radio stations, because the radio station where I worked in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, had a bomb shelter. No kidding. And what the story was is, and I don't know if this is true or just sort of made up. See, I went there like the end of uh, six, 1968, okay? And the story I heard was that in 1965, when the great blackout took place, you know, the great Northeast blackout, mm-hmm. many radio stations, including this one, <laughs> didn't, the one I was working at, you know, couldn't stay on the air. They had no means to uh, have a, a generator stay on the air. So the government came through with a deal. It said, if you will put in a generator, we'll build you a fallout shelter. I vaguely remember this. So that somehow I, that's, I mean, well, whether that was true or not, in actual fact, this radio station had a generator. I remember cranking it up more than once, I mean, many times. And it was really a godsend, you know, for the radio station and, you know, for the community to have the station able to stay on during a blackout. But it had a fallout shelter. It was just, uh, this radio station was a long, low building, uh, and it had its what was its transmitter shack in uh, behind that building, but it was attached, and it was next to the door to the transmitter room that the uh, both the generator was located above ground and the fallout shelter was below ground. It had one of those big uh, pipes, you know, that come up, ventilation pipes. You need to breathe. <laughs> you need to breathe. So, so well, anyhow, I, I, just so I don't get this messed up, I'd even written down what I recalled uh, about this. Um, either I went to the shelter once or I was told about it. I, you know how I am. I'm not very physically adventuresome. And you had to climb down a, uh, a ladder built into the side of the, of the wall to get into the fallout shelter. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I went down there or somebody went down and reported to me about this. But <laughs> anyhow, the, if you opened the door to the fallout shelter, you'd go down this little ladder and you were in the, like the waiting room. No man's land. Yeah. And there was a big door, you know, a heavy door with a small glass, you know, window, like three quarters up, you know, that was like double glass or triple glass. And the trouble was, uh, you know, as I said, we're by our transmitter, by our tower. That's where the station was built. And it was a wetland. So the... um, 
the, the place flooded, the fallout shelter. The only time people went down there and looked at it, you could look through the glass window, and the water was up about three feet. And uh, you could, see, but it didn't come out into the little chamber, maybe a little bit. And you could see boxes of emergency crackers and other things floating, floating around, floating in the water. Well, you know, I'm beginning to I'm beginning to wonder when we finally be, began to move out of the so-called threat zone. Well, but we're still in the threat zone, and you know, of now, sorts, yes. In a way, and now we worry about terrorists getting a hold of nuclear but, weapons. But but, so but the the duck the duck and cover right era. Yeah, let's yeah. call it an era. I don't know. I don't know. Well, um, the Michael who wrote us that. Um, Letter or email, he said he did was doing this in the sixties. Well, so yeah. so was I. Well, I mean, I remember doing it in the fifties. I really don't. Well, anyway, I don't remember doing it in high school. Yeah, but the, the whole the the, the so called hate to use the term target zone was right around, of course, the uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, well, that's true. You that would be that would be the target, nineteen sixty two. Yes, that's a very good point, Dave. That's probably was the. That probably was the So if you were still doing duck and cover at the radio station in 68, now if you, and you say it goes back to the early 50s, so now we're talking a good 20 years of duck and cover. Oh, yeah. Well, apparently it started, you know, as near as I can tell, in New York anyway, or at least in Amsterdam, in 1950, which is a big year because that's, again, when Russia got the bomb. They announced that they, too, had nuclear weapons. I got it, Bob. Here's yeah. what happened. The duck and cover era was replaced by the free love era of the 70s. <laughs> that could be. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. And honestly, I don't know if that radio station where I worked still has that fallout shelter. My, I think it's still there at that same location. It's, if it's made out of concrete, it's still there. Yeah. And it's still full of water. Yeah. Well, some people, I mean, I heard of people who built shelters. And, of course, the government has places underneath mountain, that mountains. That's a not from a nuclear attack, but that's a kind of the premise of a current movie, right, where this one man who doesn't go to the State of the Union, is he's the designated survivor to run the government in case they all were blown up. And, oh, you're right. And, well, anyway. You're right. We still have all of our, what, our sack? Bases, yeah. Bases under some mountain somewhere. Well, and I just saw a truck labeled Iron Mountain. Have you ever seen those trucks around? Isn't that a brand of water? No, it could be, but it's it's a mountain in, I think, the Catskills or southern New York. I don't know if it was done by the government, but now it's owned privately, and it's deep underground, and that's where people store really valuable stuff. <laughs> you mean you mean to tell me that if I think there's going to be a nuclear war, I want to save my paintings? Well, that or, you know, if for floods and such, you know what I mean, if you want to right. save your paintings. Right. I, I did have one other um, uh, letter or email on this, and again, I won't identify him, but he's actually somebody who once was on the podcast. A gentleman named Jim um, wrote, thanks for your latest uh, item. The atomic bomb hit close to home. As I spent a year of my U.S. Air Force time at Johnston Atoll, a tiny atoll, which I believe means a little island, a little coral island, Mm -hmm. something like that. Usually I think of them out in the Pacific, and I think that is, with a big military base. Well, he specifies about 700 miles southwest of Hawaii, which was also the nearest land. Most all of the U.S. bomb testing in the Pacific was conducted from Johnston Atoll. Airdrops were usually launched from there. And even in the late 1960s, it had a population of about 1,000. 
Many odd things about the place. Albatrosses imitating aircraft on takeoff from the center line of the runway. That's funny. (laughs) I guess the albatrosses wanted to be like airplanes. I really don't know. And also the albatrosses trying to hatch coffee cups. And this is, I thought, this is really interesting. Jim remembers playing softball and not being allowed to slide because of the probability that you would get maybe radioactive coral into a wound. That makes some sense. Earlier visits by Werner von Braun, nerve gas tests on monkeys, thankfully before I got there, in-space nuclear tests, rocket launched from Johnston Atoll, also in his service there wearing a British war surplus uniform. So... There's a, that's a that's a real curiosity about the uh, about the coral about the yeah room. yeah well I mean it's one of those things you hear oh yeah you know that you know we're back to uh, having those tight Tupperware containers when the <laughs> superintendent was warning us in nineteen 19- yeah, or, or find some large guy who will stand in front of you to block the blast <laughs> oh yeah did did you kid about that when you were in. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember some of it. I just remember clearly the duck and cover. Yeah, you know, you 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 are, and it seems to me that it was always taught to you by the sweetest of teachers. Yes. Oh, sure. You know. Yeah. yeah. I remember your your hit Mrs. So and So who yeah. taught history. Tiny, petite woman, very nice, very knowledgeable. Don't right. forget. Here's how you do it: duck here's and cover. You, you put the duck. Yeah. This is yeah. Uh, we never. Well, we actually thought at the time it would have done some good. I think. It would have done good. What did we know? We yeah. didn't know anything. Well, who, right. Again, I would say we're, you know, we were going on experience, and the experience we had was with, quote-unquote, conventional war, and all these things are, you know, are important. You they know? were scary. Yeah. I mean, like in uh, all the bombing that took place, you know, not just the atomic bombing, but the other bombing that took place in World War II. I mean, for example, I know the British moved, if they had the means, they moved their kids out of London. You know, they sent them here, there, and everywhere. Some of them even, I think, to Ireland because the Germans weren't going to bomb Ireland. Well, unlike so. unlike today, at the time, nuclear war was going to happen to all of us. We, we never thought that maybe they would simply target New York City. Right, right. You know, we think that. So... The the void was certainly, and we still wouldn't. We still don't understand it. No, we we see movies about it. We think uh, some nuclear device in a refrigerator hidden in New York City, but if it really happened, I have I don't even want to know. Yeah, thank no, you. No, 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 thank you. And we do we still have? Uh, I mean, I should have looked into this before bringing it up here late in the podcast. Do we still have civil defense here? I mean, I guess we do the. Well, uh, maybe going way back to the start of our conversation, we we do the the active. You mean shooter do we drills. still have the Connell Red stations yeah, on the radio? Right. Yeah, they, we, they've been replaced by the what is it these days? They've been testing this system. The FCC's been testing this now for yeah. like five or ten years. The emergency, emergency activation action. system or something. Yeah, emergency action notification system, which covers it all: bad weather, you name it. Right. And in fact, um, you remember that movie, The Day After? It was a TV movie, actually. I think it? so. Yeah. And that's when, you know, somebody's driving in his car, and all of a sudden the 
that warning comes on, and unlike all the time, they say, this is a test. It wasn't a test. You know, they were right. The, the 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 people who produced radios actually had to put that little Connell Red uh, logo on the on the radio, on the AM only radio, which was what like six forty and twelve forty a.m. Yep. But now with people so many online, I mean, I hate to say it, not listening to radio as much or watching over the air TV. Uh, Will your internet, you know, start to warn you? I, I know the first time I got the smartphone, I was surprised uh, one time when, uh, you know, when a night of bad weather, and they had a tornado warning or something like that, and it came over my smartphone. I you you make a very good point here, Bob, because I know on cable they have the alert system that covers all the channels, mm-hmm. all two or three thousand TV channels. We'll get the red bar in the test or. Or there's a tornado watch or whatever. But on the Internet, I don't know of anything that just interrupts the entire Internet. No. Other than some kid in his basement who hacked into something. That's true. I mean, it's interrupted by uh, the bad guys, yeah. if you will. As a, well, anyway. Well, Dave, I, I thank you for uh, joining me on this uh, trip back in time to civil defense in the atomic age. Quite a topic. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, You've been listening to The Historian's uh, Podcast. I'm Bob Cutler.